and welcome to Smart Businesses Do This. Today, I am joined by three incredible panelists who are going to be helping me talk to you about the importance of becoming an authority in your industry and how to do it. You are listening to Smart Businesses Do This, the podcast show for freelancers, side hustlers, and upcoming small business owners who want to transform their current business or business idea into a company that is built to succeed, simple to run, and gives you the freedom to live your life on your own terms. I'm your host, Adam Lyons. Let's get started. Now, I want to let everybody know that, as always, today we are sponsored by the Working Vacation, which is an event where we take people out on a cruise ship and help them find that perfect work-life balance so you can actually get six months of work done in seven days. It sounds crazy, but it's totally doable, and you'll still have time to hang out with your friends, family, and so on and so forth. Now, before we want to get into the authority thing, I do, uh, I'm going to get to introduce you guys first and let everybody know. So why don't you start by talking about who you are, what you do, and, uh, and how you're an authority? <laughs> because I say so. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Um, my name's Maria Whalen. And um, a couple things I, for the last 20 years, have been, um, I built a, a health system, basically, that teaches people how to be their own doctor and kind of be off the system. And I'm transitioning out of that right now. But I started a hospitality company and a food company. I was a chef about 30 years ago. So I'm a foodie also. So <laughs> it's fun to be around other foodies. Um, and yeah, that's, I mean, I, I think Love that's it. good enough, right? Yeah, it's yeah. perfect. Brad. My name is Brad Ball. I have a agency and a software uh, company. And so as it relates to influence, I never thought of myself as a person of influence, but that's kind of slowly changed over the last several years. Been in business since really 2000, but incorporated since 2005. And there's not a lot of businesses that can really say that they've been in existence for over 20 plus years. And, you know, even to this day, I have clients that are 20 plus year clients and uh, you never see that. So as it relates to influence, how do you maintain clients for that long and so on and so forth? So it. Uh, my name is Kurt Molly. I'm from Austin, Texas. I own a company called Black Box Social Media. I've been doing this for about 15 years now. Um, we've worked with like the San Antonio Spurs, uh, U.S. presidential candidates, small businesses, large businesses. I have a championship belt that I have won as being one of the top marketers in the world. I'll probably brag about later. I'm a 45-year-old man who likes to carry around the belt. So as authority, I just have a belt. That's all I really have and experience. <laughs> but basically, we do TV, radio, Facebook, Google, whatnot all things marketing. Dude, I love that. And um, here's one of the things I want to share with you guys about authority. This hopefully will get you to truly understand it. Um, for, for everyone in the audience, you can shout out and you guys can shout out, who were the first people to ever fly a plane? Wright Brothers. The Wright Brothers. Everyone here knows it. Excellent. And who was second? <laughs> ah, how about this? Who was the first woman to fly across the Atlantic? Amelia Earhart, who was second? <laughs> well, I hope that you're number one in your industry <laughs> because if you're second, you have no hope. That's not an exaggeration. You will be forgotten. No one cares about you. You must be number one. Now, Amelia Earhart was not the first person to fly a plane. She wasn't even the first woman to fly a plane. She was the first woman to fly a plane across the Atlantic. So you don't have to be the first and only that has ever done it. 
but you've got to be the first at something. Something you do has to be first, and you need to have that as part of your marketing. You've got to tell people. So if, you're, if you've tuned into this podcast or if you're here watching this live and you've convinced yourself that being in the top 10 is good enough or that it doesn't matter that you weren't first because you're better, no, actually, you don't know. I'm sure that the pilots nowadays are a lot better than the Wright brothers ever were because it isn't about who's best. It is about who is first. And first doesn't mean you won a competition. It means you were the first person to do it. So with that being said, that is the importance of being an authority. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start with Kurt Manley. We'll go back down the line. Kurt, if somebody wants to go about becoming an authority in their industry, what would you say is something they absolutely have to do? The last time I was here, I said the exact same thing. Record one minute videos, just like when I text you. Yep. Record one minute videos on Facebook Reels, upload them to Instagram Reels, YouTube uh, Shorts, and same thing with TikTok. All those algorithms for those one minute videos are specifically designed to find a new audience that didn't know that they'd be interested in the type of content that's about to be displayed to them. The reason that the government is so crazy right now about TikTok is because the learning of the algorithm on TikTok, you don't have to have any followers, you don't have to follow any one within two to three minutes of just you flipping through videos, it knows what it should be showing you next. So one of the most aggressive things, if, if I had to start all over again tomorrow, these one minute short videos uploading on all platforms on a consistent basis, you'd be amazed what happens in the next three to six months. So I love that. So if any of you are not currently doing at least a 60 second video every single day and put it on every platform, you're missing out on the ability to be an authority. And even if you think you don't need to do it, you clearly do. Brad, same question to you. What could somebody do right now to become an authority? Well, I would say the first thing you have to do is believe in yourself because you can do all these different things, but if you don't believe you're that person, then you're not gonna be able to follow through with what you need to follow through. And some people may say imposter syndrome if uh, everybody has it. I don't care who you are, we all deal with the same things. And so I would say uh, invest in yourself first and build that up because that's going to give you the confidence and the ability to go then do it yourself. Love it. Uh, Maria? True story. I would say networking and connect with the right people because that was how I needed had to do it for my business because I couldn't do the traditional route. So I, I like that. And I think that's something worth mentioning. One of my favorite routes to build authority is actually to make sure I'm seen next to someone who is already an authority. And then I will not be the first because they're the first, but I'll be the first at something that they haven't done, mostly because they don't want to do it. I'm like, well, I'll do that. That thing you don't want to do, I'll do that. And I'll be the first person to do that. So I think that's great. Um, I want to give you guys uh, another little golden nugget. Again, to me, it's very important that you have constant takeaways from listening to this. Uh, something that we've started doing recently, and by recently, I mean in the last week, uh, and Kurt, you might like this, we're taking those 60-second videos that Kurt had us doing X amount of months ago, and we're now transcribing them, getting AI to rewrite them, and then we are uploading them as written posts in addition to the one-minute reels. And in the last week, we have seen the traction on those is 3x the video views. Um, now, the reason for that, uh, as far as we're concerned, and I'll let Kurt correct me because he knows better than me, but um, it looks like Instagram and Facebook are trying to differentiate themselves from TikTok a bit by giving favoritism back to written posts. And um, written posts purely created by AI, we've found, aren't the best. But when it's a rewrite of something that is original content that we've said, seems to be doing really, really well. So that's, again, something that you can implement straight away. And what I like about this 
is it goes really good if you don't like being on video. So if you have an issue with being on video, you can just speak for a minute into your phone, into the voice recording app, take that, transcribe it using a service like temi.com, which is a very quick transcription, or in fact, um, there's Otter. Um, and in fact, most iPhones and Android phones actually have the ability nowadays to transcribe. You take the audio, you transcribe it, have AI tidy it up, and before you know it, uh, you've got a really cool post that you can make. And the whole thing takes less than two to three minutes. I mean, this is a very, very quick thing that you can do. Okay, so um, Maria, if you wouldn't mind, maybe share a little bit about your story, because I know it, it's hard for you to become an authority because you have a, a unique niche. So if you wouldn't mind explaining to people why it's difficult for you and how you went about becoming an authority in a world where no one can know who you are and what you do. <laughs> so what he means by that is just, any of you guys know a little bit about the health space, it's not the safest space to be in. Um, you know, if you're going up against uh, a very big industry, I won't say the words, you guys all follow on me on that <laughs> in the holistic space. So when I started, it was, so you can't give testimonials, you can't do ads, you can't, I had so many TV show movie offers. No, they'd be like, what? Like you're turning that down. Yeah. I'll get killed. And literally I mean, I have 150 of my friends have been mysteriously disappeared kind of a thing. So, um, I spent 20 years legit every night being worried about that. And so I had to be different and you had to be really strategic. Um, so I would just say, I mean, honestly, networking is such an art. It really is. You know, I know that I learned it over obviously many years, but I have a survival instinct in me from, and some of it's just instinct and some of it's just been from my history. But when you have that, you learn to network differently. You look for opportunities differently. You hear things differently because it was my only route. And so I've kind of mastered that. So I, if you said to me, give me a big name, give me a big name. Oh, uh, like in the, in the medical industry? Anywhere. No, in, oh, in our space and any space, like in the business space. So let's just say Elon Musk. There you go. If you told me you want to get to Elon, I would figure it out by tomorrow. It's awesome. And it, there's a strategic process to how, do that. How would you go about doing that? Like roughly just so. To get yeah. It. So gosh, it's, I have to let, you know, when you have to step yeah, outside yeah, no, of your brain, it, cause yeah. I do it so naturally. Yeah. I would go to, um, well, when I networked, I would strategically do it almost like the game of war, whatever. What's that game? I don't play those, but you know, like, you have to be yeah. really strategic. And so I would do ones where I was in proximity to all the people build those relationships. And then you're one degree away from that. And then I would invest in those relationships. And so at this moment, I could in any second text one person who's connected with him and, you know, pull the, obviously the favor card kind so of thing. I, I like that. I've actually got a, an example of a time I did that, which might help. So I really wanted to be a teacher and professor at the University of Texas in Austin, which is just down the road. And, um, and obviously I now do that. I've lectured there a whole bunch of times and everyone's like, how did you do it? How did they, you know, how did you reach out? And I actually didn't reach out. I did what you just said. The very first thing I did was I started networking in entrepreneur circles and saying over and over again, man, I really want to lecture at UT. I just kept saying it. And one day somebody in the circle said, I know someone who is a professor at UT. Do you want to meet them? And I went, yes. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up meeting that person. I took them out to dinner like three times. And every time I'd hang out at dinner, I was like, so what does it take? How do I do it? And after a while they said, well, I know somebody that is interested in having a guest lecturer. Would you like to do it? I said, yes, which ended up with me then getting connected to them. And of course, after another couple of dinners, the next thing 
thing I know. They're like, we really need a guest lecturer on this subject. Are you comfortable with that? I was like, absolutely. And the next thing you know, now I'm a guest lecturer at UT and I get called back consistently. Um, so that's a, a great example. I love that. So again, any of you can do that. I know um, a really good exercise that, uh, that my buddy Brian Steumann teaches is make a list of 25 people you really want to meet that would make a big impact on your life. And then to go a step further, if you implement exactly what uh, Maria was just hinting at and what I was kind of breaking down, you could take just the top five people off that list and go around and say, one day I'm going to meet these five people. And by doing it that way, it's only a matter of time before those people, uh, the, the people that know them will end up getting you closer in proximity. And before you know it, you will get to meet them. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you, you, you had a nuance in there that I don't think people would pick up on as sure. much if you're not familiar with it. But what he said about, he made known what he wanted mm -hmm. and people don't do that a lot in networking. It's like we, they hold it close, right? Cause you feel like it's weird to do, but man, you know, that's how you get the worm kind of a thing. You know, it's like, you got to say what you need because nobody knows that. And nobody, you know, we're also focused on our own business. So nobody's going around going, Hey, what do you need? You know what I'm saying? You got to be your own advocate for that kind of stuff. And so when you're in the right, in, in, in the right group, like you positioned yourself, then you say, Hey, this is my wish list," or like anybody know this, you know, kind of a thing. And you know, Adam, he's always the one thing you do that you do naturally too, is he always provides provides value first and cares for people like naturally not contrived. And when you do that, now you've got a table of people listening to you. So when you do make a request, it's not coming across selfish. Does that make sense? Or like, just look at me. And it, that's part of networking that is so critical. Like I used to get off stage and have, you know, a hundred people lined up and everybody just wants something from you. And when the one person stands out that they're like, I just wanted to say thank you for what you said. And like, is there anything I could do to support you? I'm going to list, I'm going to pull, I'll never forget that person, you know? And so how you interact with those 25 people or that list that you want really matters, right? Don't be like, Hey, you know, and so speaking also helps. Yep. I was in the speaking industry for a long time. You got on stage with one of those people next to you. you know, it really just has a infectious authority kind of thing. You know, it's almost like a, a natural passing the baton. And I never spoke in the health space. Ever. I love that. So, so um, I, I love that. And I just, uh, and before we get to Brad, just want to share this. Whenever I'm speaking on stage next to somebody that I want to meet, I will always text somebody I know that knows them. And I'm like, tell them to come and say hi to me. And so I remember I was in, I was in Brazil and I had both Dan Fleischman and Billie Jean speaking next to me. And I wanted to meet both of them. And they both got a text message from respective friends being like, you have to go and say hi to Adam. And so I'm there in this VIP area. And Billie Jean comes up to me and says, I keep getting bombarded by people telling me to come and say hi to you. So hi. And I was like, hi. <laughs> it's like, that's, I met um, uh, Tim Ferriss the same way. Tim was like, can you please stop telling people to text me? I'll come and meet you. It's fine. <laughs> but like, that was how I, that's how I like meeting people. Yeah. You did the same thing with me and Frank Kurt when you were on stage. I did. Yes, that's exactly it. Yeah. Kurt was the one. I saw Kurt in the audience. And I knew Kurt knew Frank Kern and I was sitting next to Frank Kern. I wanted to talk to him and I messaged Kurt, Kurt, tell Frank Kern to say hi. And so Frank's like, Kurt Malley told me to say hi. I do. That's like, great. Um, but yeah, that's why I like to do it. Thanks. Uh, yeah. So Brad, same question. So in your industry, um, tell a little bit about your story and how, how, because obviously for you, it's only in the last few years that you've accepted that after 20 mm -hmm. something years, you probably deserve to be an authority. Um, what was the, the snap and what did you do about it to make it happen? 
Well, I guess the snap was I was speaking at an event and, uh, you know, there's probably 40 people in the room and I asked how many people in here do over a million dollars? Two hands were raised. And so we've been doing over a million dollars for shoot 12 years now, probably. And so I just never clued in like, Hey, you know, I always look at people that are, I would say bigger or better, like you hanging out with Adam, he's talking about all this stuff. I'm like, man, that's insane what you're doing. <laughs> but uh, for me, as it relates to influence, things like that in our business going for so long, it was all about relationships. And so, um, you know, we get all kinds of leads that come in cold, hot, but always the best ones, the best clients that we have are those that we built personal relationships with. Even if they're new clients, it's connecting. How do you build that personal relationship and get to know them? I got a crazy story. One time I got called into a hotel to do a, uh, it was a, let's call it a billboard advertisement. And it, and this hotel, I didn't realize that a lot of these hotel chains are actually owned by individuals. And so we show up to this hotel probably 15 minutes early to a meeting and we're waiting, we're waiting. And the owner's late and come to find out he had another meeting before us, probably 30 minutes before that he was late for. And so it's 15 after the time we're supposed to be there. And he comes down all flustered and he's going to go meet with this other company. And so we get pulled into the closed bar area and he's meeting this uh, other company and they've been meeting for like 15, 20 minutes. So here we're an hour late of our meeting and he motions over to me, come here. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what are going to do? So we're sitting down against a competing company that wants to do this billboard advertising. And he starts asking us all questions oh against each other. Most, I should have walked away at that point, which usually we identify that and that's not a fit. And so he ends up making the other company leave. And in the conversation, I found out that this owner owned a ski resort. I grew up skiing. And so even though I was trying to shoo away from actually doing the project, guess who got the project? Of course. I did because I built that personal connection in the midst of that sales process. And we didn't stick with that client, but every client we got, that's what we do. Now with account managers, they do the same thing. And so recently I've been doing work for TCU for uh, since 2001. Big university, done all kinds of projects over the years with them. Uh, who follows their football team or football? What they do? Go home, folks. That's right. They went to the national championship game. So they did the Fiesta Bowl and the national championship game. And their marketing and communication department gets overloaded and they didn't have the bandwidth to go do a full ad campaign. So billboard advertisements, digital print, everything. And so they said, hey, can you do it? And we said, yes. And so we did the Fiesta Bowl campaign and a national campaign. And I had nothing to do with that because I've developed over the years that my account managers now have those relationships and then they called us. And so as it relates to influence, um, no matter what you do, building that relationship for the longevity, we don't try to get a client for, you know, one job for three months. We're talking three, five, 10 years. And that's the power of influence. To me now one thing i forgot to say when you were talking about uh you're the first to do one thing mm -hmm. uh my background is not really marketing ironically enough in my first in my business class i bombed one test because i went completely blank guess what it was about marketing, marketing. <laughs> ironic enough but my degree is actually painting and drawing and so i would get on stage at events and do a live painting and so back in the mid 90s i was probably the first person to ever get on stage Back then, it was at churches and do a live painting at an event. Dude, I, I love that. And mm -hmm. that's exactly it. It's, it's the same with me. I wasn't the first at everything I do, mm -hmm. but I'm the first at a number of things that I've done, which has translated. I always think of this as like the Michael Jordan effect. Like, you know, he really shouldn't have taken up baseball, but we all know him as a baseball player. 
because he was number one at basketball, it's totally okay for him to be the only other baseball player that I know. Because I can't name any baseball players, but I can totally name Michael Jordan as a baseball player because he was the number one basketball player. I used to speak all the time, and then I got used to having my back to people. <laughs> and you know, the biggest event, I was at uh, PepsiCo Center in Denver, and there was probably 8,000 women at an event. And I did an eight-foot-by-eight-foot eight canvas in eight minutes. That's really so, cool. Yeah. Just throw paint it and be like, Pretty ah. much. Yeah, it's yeah. great. <laughs> so that, that's kind of the one thing. All right, um, Kurt, how did how did you become an authority? Tell us a little bit about your story and uh, and how you did it. For me personally, I think it would all come down to uh, connections and storytelling. That's what always attracted me to hanging out with you, Adam, is more of your storytelling stuff. So back in 2015, I was one of the first people we started advertising on Facebook. And I started going to this party here in town called the Internet Marketing Party. I just lost all my money in real estate after the uh, market crash. And essentially, I just started learning from people. And I would buy people beers because I, I was underfunded. I wasn't broke. But I would buy the speakers beers to get to know them in just proximity a little bit more. And that's how one of the ways I got to know you through through David Gonzalez. Um, and from there, what I started to do is I started to apply some of the stuff that people were saying from stage. And just by leading first with value, I started to be connected with some pretty high profile people in our online space uh, that I took on as one of my first clients. And hey, I work with Mike Dillard. Why don't I work with you? People started working with me all the time just because of proximity, because I was leading with value first. And I was one of the, I don't want to say pioneers, but when we were advertising originally, what was this, 2009, 2010 on Facebook, it was completely different than it is right now. Um, uh, during that time, like I said, we worked for the San Antonio Spurs, we worked for a U.S. presidential candidate. I then got sued by Facebook. I was a 100th person to be sent a cease and desist that I wasn't allowed to touch Facebook. All my 15 employees weren't allowed to touch Facebook. I wasn't able to have a third party touch Facebook. So people really started to get to know me now because I was the guy who was banned on Facebook. Everyone wanted to know that story. Um, and then as soon as I was allowed back on Facebook, we hit that way really well, which actually I then partnered up with my brother in a traditional ad agency who does radio, TV, and billboards. So we just took my digital philosophy and combined it with the with the traditional principles. And essentially our agency really started taking off. Um, from there, I win this uh, well, actually, there's two things to mention here real quick. Uh, I strongly believe in storytelling. During the time we were at our highest growth, and we had 15 employees in downtown Austin. The only lease I negotiated was downstairs in a basement that had no windows. And like to get 15 people in a basement with no windows is stinky, disgusting, and depressing. But we decided to call it, since my company is Black Box Social Media, the Black Box Bunker. So we would send emails out from the top secret black box bunker because our landlord wouldn't allow us to have a sign. There's no signage whatsoever. We didn't even really have a mailbox there. So no one could really find us anyway, but it just made for a really good story. Well, people would pick up on these stories that we started advertising and they were really curious to understand what we did in the black box bunker for some of these high-end clients. So we created training programs and services and then got kicked off Facebook. My brother's agency grew because of that. And then I won a championship belt, which is basically I showed up to a room of 45 other advertisers and we're all sitting around and by sharing uh, by sharing ideas whoever had the best idea that was duplicatable they won this wrestling belt and what ended up happening is I took this wrestling belt I traveled around to conferences for it took a ton of pictures it was flooding people's news stream and the belt got stolen at a party 
Like I couldn't make this stuff up. Belt gets stolen. I run ads with a, a milk carton and a belt on the back of the milk carton. Best thing that ever happened to me, right? I should have brought the belt today now that I'm thinking I, I about it, right? it. Yeah, I was wondering why I didn't bring it in the first place. Uh, but for me personally, it's all, it's all become down to storytelling, leading with value first and then proximity. And then the stages and everything else just really happened. And my career's really taken off from that. So, so I, I love that. And I think there's a really big takeaway here that I tell people all the time. Your worst life experiences that happen to you are the thing that will make you the most unequivocally. Money. Yeah. And so one of the problems that people have is when there is a problem, they get so frustrated with the problem and so upset, they can fall into this uh, despair. Like, oh my gosh, I should give up. And the first thing I say to them is like, yo, that's your hero story. Like the whole point of a story is that the whole story is the down part, right? There's no, it's not like, um, hey, Luke Skywalker, how's life? Oh, you know, my parents are great. Everything's good. Uh, you know, my dad taught me how to use a sword. And, uh, and he's never had any problems in his life. And so I'm really looking forward to a wonderful life. It's a terrible story. It has to be bad. Like it has to be, you know, your, your parents have to die. The world has to be destroyed. You've got to be almost dead. The thing that you were gifted has to be taken from you. And now you're not good enough to do it. And then why not? You get beaten up. You almost make out with your sister. It's got to be bad. You know, it's got to be terrible. And that's then worthy of telling people because you've defeated all the, uh, the evilness to it. So I, I think it's worth mentioning at this point. Like, uh, so the thing that I became number one is I was the number one dating coach in the world three years in a row. That was the thing that I was number one. And you may know of dating coaches, but you don't know of any other number ones because I held it for three years and I shouted about it from the rooftops. Um, and by the time I'd finished, there are now so many dating coaches. Most of them are students of my students or my grand dating children, as I like to call them. Um, like, you know, it's like, that's, uh, that's an industry that I really impacted in a massive way. And one of the cool things I like about the dating industry that I, I want to share with you guys is that there are a lot of pretenders in the dating industry and they, we call them flash in the pan. They turn up, they make a big stink. They build a lot of authority very, very quickly, a lot of influence, and then they vanish without a trace. And they'll make a large amount of money in a very short period of time. So I remember one of the guys that, that came up, I, I didn't know this. He was a student of mine. He built a business that seemingly built overnight. And he was making like, you know, 3 million, then he made like 10 million and then 4 million <clears throat> over three years. And then he vanished. Well, I ended up acquiring that business. And after acquiring it, the first thing I noticed was he'd stolen all my content, uh, which was shocking. So I was like, what? This is my stuff. Like not even, didn't even rename it. Like it was just my stuff. And I was like, first of all, terrible. Uh, but I didn't mind. I owned it again. Um, but what was amazing is everyone always bragged about how amazing that business was and how much money it made. And that is nothing compared to how much money I've made in my career. It's a lot in a very short period of time, but the guy has lost all credibility or respect. I mean, his business is gone. He will never ever be known in that world again because his authority was built the wrong way. And so I do want to make a point that if you notice that somebody is a rising star very, very quickly, almost out of nowhere, nine times out of 10, they're going to end up crashing and burning just as hard because it's not built on anything real. It's not actual substance. It's fake. Now, there are absolutely um, examples that I would sort of say are the exceptions that, that prove the rule. A good example there is Alex Hormozzi. Alex Hormozzi had been around a long time. He blew up overnight and, and is the real deal. He's staying around. He's going to be around. But that's because his... His, his fame may have blown up overnight, 
but he was the real deal for a very long time beforehand. So he basically had the weight behind his claim and, and then did all the right things at the right time to blow up. Um, another good example of that, weirdly, is Ty Lopez. Um, I know Ty Lopez because Ty Lopez hired me to help him with his business before the big blow up and everyone got to know him. I was actually in his house when they recorded the I'm here in my garage video. Like I've been in that garage, uh, which is actually a gym, fun fact, uh, when it's not got a car in it, uh, which often didn't have a car in it because it was a gym and he pulled it in specifically to make the video. Um, but th the reason I'm sharing that is Ty Lopez was already a prolific business owner. He already had a whole bunch of businesses. And then when he blew up, it was a case of right time, right movement, right action. Um, and I know because once that blew up, he came to me and said, hey, we're going to shut down a lot of these other departments. Um, and I was like, oh, that makes sense because this is now blown up. So the reason I'm sharing that is it can be frustrating when you're in an industry and a nobody comes out, puts tons of money in advertising, appears on every podcast, makes this big splash, and suddenly you're like, oh my God, who is this person? But really take a minute to look into them. If they have no history, if they've literally just come out of nowhere, they're gonna last like two or three years. And one of my favorite things to do to really assert my authority is when somebody says to me, what do you think about this person? I would just say, oh, I've never really heard of them. And they're like, what do you mean? They're everywhere. I was like, yeah, I mean, up until just now, I've never heard of them. And I was like, I've been in the industry for 18 years. This person came out of nowhere. I find it shocking and almost impossible that considering how connected I am in the industry, that a nobody has just turned up and suddenly they're amazing. Also, when you look at any of the stuff that they're doing, Nothing's new. We've all heard this before, but what they are doing, and this is a way that people attempt to make authority, is they're controversial. They will say the thing that the vocal minority wants to be said, and it creates an echo chamber. So in any industry, there are a group of upset people waiting to rise up and complain. It is not the majority. It is a small group but they will be the ones that will be loudest the minute a figurehead turns up and is willing to say the thing. So for example, and I'll do a prediction right now as we're recording, everyone's pro AI. You haven't really had an anti-AI person. Somebody will be the figurehead of the anti-AI movement. Someone will come out, you will see it out of nowhere, someone who isn't really known today, they will come out and they will say, here's what's dangerous about AI. And they will start a big anti-AI movement. John Connor. And it's John Connor. <laughs> John Connor. Right. Uh, yeah, and Chaos GPT might be the thing I saw that yesterday. Like that might be the start of it. But there will be a human and that human will be at very anti-AI. They will be completely against it. And suddenly everyone that has not adopted AI will become the vocal minority because they've had nothing to say. They, they couldn't join in on the conversation of AI. They've been secretly hating it. And when this person vocalizes and says everything, they will band behind whoever this person is. There will be a movement. Um, there will probably be discussions about it in the media. There may even be a request for some kind of legal changes and government rulings that have to step in to control this. The fact I can state this today on uh, April the 12th, 2023 is completely something we should all be aware of because whatever industry you're in, this is going to happen to you. And you just have to understand that that is the course of nature of humans. And that person is doing it maybe because they believe in it, but probably because they just want to be famous. Uh, we saw this with Andrew Tate doing it for the pro-men movement and the, the anti-left movement. Um, and we've seen it time and time again. Uh, yeah, Maria.
I was just going to piggyback on that because Please. there's there, the good news of that, it, that it illuminates is that, you know, it's very easy to actually become a big name quickly, right? And so yeah. the, the concept about this is really about longevity and what do you want to be known for? You want to be, uh, you know, known for 20 years or do you want to be the overnight bye-bye you know, you're no longer known and you're black marked, right? Like you never, he can, they can never come back into the space again. Um, and I only say that because I lived that right. Like in, because I couldn't do the traditional marketing, I would watch all these people become big names because they had the in with somebody to get a face and guess who all those people they're all. And I know every big name in the health space expert personally, guess who they call for their health. Yeah. Right. But how did they know me? Right. I'm like, is that interesting? So it's really, it's, it helped me to know that to go, okay, I'd watch them and be jealous for a while. Cause like, oh man, I wish I could do that. And like, it's so frustrating because they actually don't know crap, <laughs> yep. but they're a big name because there's a marketing machine behind them. And you know, that's just the nature of it. So you could have both. And, and I, I love that you said that as well. And I, I'd love to get your guys' opinion on this as well. Um, because you know, I'm the same. When you when it comes to big names in business and marketing, I'm the guy they call. Like when, you know, uh Roland Frazier, Ryan Dice, um, Ryan Stewman, when the, any other Ryan, uh, whenever they need help, <laughs> like I'm the guy they'll phone. Like, and they'll be like, hey, what do I do? And it's the same in dating. Like, I'm the dating coach that the big names call when they need help with their dating life. Um, but it's because, like you said, that proximity and the authority that's been built over time because they know that consistently I win. You know, if, if you have the ability to phone me up for help in your business, I'm going to win because that's what I do. And it's, um, and that to me is more powerful. I would much rather be that person than the flash in the pan that a whole bunch of random people sign up with who I'm then like, I don't even know you guys. Um, I don't know how to help you. I would rather help the big hitters and, and survive and be there over time. Um, Honestly, you're a real authority then. Thank you. Right. That's a, like, you know what I'm saying? Like an overnight authority isn't really authority. Right. Like you just had influence. So that's it, you know? Yeah. And I just, wanted to say one more thing to what you were talking about with being first don't let people naysay you on it like and there's not a mean way because frank kern was my first mentor and the first thing he said to me is you're crazy like you know you understand you're swimming upstream here nobody's done this before i said well i was you know I'm Sicilian. I'm stubborn. I'm like, yeah, and I don't care. I'm doing it anyway. And, you know, but I was advised totally against it. But, you know, nowadays we see that that's actually right now what is most important is be the first to do it. It was back in the day when telehealth wasn't a thing. Everything I did was like, um, you understand nobody understands this stuff, right? Okay, cool. Well, I'll make it happen. And 18 years later, you know, I charge 30 to $50,000 and I probably keep 90% of my profit because of the way I built my company. Those are both very unheard of in the health space. And if I had listened to that, I would have never done it. You know what I mean? And he was really trying to protect me because obviously it is not as easy to be the first to do something new um, and different. But, you know, my thing is just like, yes, that is true and do it. (laughs) Even if people tell you not to. I love it. Brad. Well, I mean, what it sounds like a lot is you're talking about serving people. And so you build a lot of relationships and they call you for advice or whatnot, aside from your one day uh, intensive uh, consulting. But as it relates with anything, we get calls all the time. And, you know, it's our goal is to see our clients succeed. And even if you're a new client, if it's a lead magnet or things like that, what is that one thing we can do off the bat that's going to build that relationship? So now we've turned a 
new prospect into a long-term client. And so it all goes back to serving that customer the best way you can. And also not trying to oversell things that you don't do, knowing being true to yourself and believing in that and going forward hundred percent. And so that's, I think that would be my answer in, in terms of that. And also being forward thinking as an agency, we've been looking at AI and I've been talking about it for four, five years ever since it popped up. Okay. What's this going to look like? And even now I'm not a naysayer, but I can see issues arising from it. Like our copywriters, um, they're great copywriters, but they've learned, okay, I need to use this tool because that's what it is. It's a tool. And, um, you're seeing some negative effects of, you know, chaos GPT. If you haven't seen that, that's a whole other deal, but how is AI going to change what we do as an agency? You've seen it in Facebook, you've seen it in Google, and we've seen issues with Google Performance Max of leads. And if you've, if you've done that in the beginning, you get a lot of crap leads. And if you've got salespeople, they're just running around chasing their tails all the time because it's not really good leads. And that's why I go back to that relationship and serving the customer because you're best customers are also the referral customers. And it's like, hey, I want to get to know this person. Text him. If you didn't have that connection, you may have not ever gotten that connection, right? Exactly. And so then it all just comes back full circle. And when you serve the customers and you do it right, it, it's the longevity is there. And it kind of reminds me of fast food chains. And I bring this up all the time. And this kind of is somewhat anti-AI is what are the biggest fast food chains out there? McDonald's. <laughs> My favorite is one, and they they don't have the fastest drive through, but I think they have the fastest drive through. Which is it? If you're in Texas, you should know what it is. Chick Fil A. Now, why are they so successful, and why do people go back? I think in part is when you go through drive through, what happens? You have people there to talk to you and build a human connection. Yeah. And we're seeing that even as we get leads. Do you meet with people face to face? And so. As we go more into AI, part of me is going to double down more into the relationship sides of getting face-to-face with people, utilizing AI as a tool, but it's not the end-all be-all. I, I love that you say that because uh, when I was on stage at the Traffic and Conversion Summit last year, standing on stage and I said, um, raise your hand if you like the idea of your entire business being automated and AI and technology handles everything. And everyone's like, yeah. I was like, raise your hand if you like phone trees. No one raised their hand. I'm like, so you love the idea of it being automated, but hate the idea of having to go through automation yourself. Yeah. And that's how we're going to win. The, the time that people save with AI, I agree with you, has to be put back in to the personal touch and bringing back <laughs> human customer service, not outsourced customer service to AI or a foreign country. So I have a LinkedIn campaign targeting uh, higher ed right now. And so it's got its sequences, about three different sequences. But once I get a response, I actually do it instead of my sales team just because I'm the face. Yeah. And I'll look and see, is there a personal connection? If I have a personal connection, then I write in specifically something that calls to that. So that. then they know it's not a bot, but now I can have a human connection outside of the, the automations. I love it. Um, Kurt, yeah, some, uh, seeing some kind of uh, negative authority come up in your space or, or a story of dealing with it. Or negative. Like a flash in the pan type person that's come out of nowhere that is... Uh, that is oh, who is that guy? Uh, Khan... 
Mezra, the guy out of Saudi Arabia that came through, his first name was Khan. And I'm okay. like, oh my God, this guy's a Khan. And this was about five or six years ago. And I'll never forget this because Mike Dillard interviewed him on his podcast and a couple of other people did. And like, I'm scratching my head and I'm telling people, I'm like, I just don't understand this guy. Like he has these yachts in Saudi Arabia. He deals with these billionaires. He's going to be a billionaire. Like none of these stories are consistent and everyone's just kind of wowed with the flash. Like you'd go out to eat with this guy. He'd take you to fancy restaurants. He'd pull up in his Rolls Royce and you're like, these numbers just don't make sense. And then like he started some coin or something like that. A good friend of mine got taken uh, $450,000 from him. And he was this flash in the plane that stuck around for two years. And I talked to people over and over and over. And I'm fascinated with like brain science and specific language that people use to interpret what they're going to do next, right? Language can uh, obviously, if you really pay attention, there's a lot that's, that's obviously not being said. And I'm like, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, Kam Ezra, that's what his name, C-O-M-E-Z-R-A. He is now in a Saudi Arabian prison. And essentially what ended up happening is after four years, I'm like, I just don't understand. He disappeared. Like you just couldn't see him at all. And then a year and a half later, people were like, well, where's my money at? Where's my deals at? And so many times it's interesting. There's a lot of people I know in my space, because when I started my Facebook ad agency, when we were really focused on Facebook, there wasn't as many gurus or as many other people doing it. A lot of other people have come up and it's great because I'll sit like uh, a friend of ours who owned uh, the second largest YouTube channel out there, uh, Henry Fuentes, uh, you know, from Six Pack yep. Shortcuts. We'll be sitting in a meeting. We'll look at people. And I'm like, hey, Henry, what do you think? And Henry will tell me, he's like, man, math doesn't add up. It just doesn't. And you can hear it directly in people's language. So what I'm always fascinated with, and I tell people this all the time, if you make a million bucks in a year or $5 million in a year, like it's cool. If you've done it over the last 10 years or the last 15 years, now I really want to hear some of your war stories and stuff like that. But I've seen, yeah, lots of flashes in the pan that make it really interesting. Dude, I love that. So um, we're moving to the end here. Here's what I'd like to get from each of you. Um, at the end of our podcast, we always say, what do smart businesses do? So if you guys wouldn't mind straight down the line, in your words, smart businesses do and and then what you think they do and how people can find out about you if they want to learn more from you. In my opinion, smart businesses do consistent content consistently. Basically, what I say all the time is one of your biggest advantages is your competitors typically are usually mismanaged and they don't do things consistently, even if this is improper English. So my consistently uh, consistency usually outperforms my other competitors. Uh, so one of them for me is producing regular content. Producing regular content, especially now on social media with the one-minute videos that I had talked about, can really help build authority in a quick amount of time. The consistency is huge. So I've been teaching Facebook ads, online marketing for well over 15 years now. You can find more about me at blackboxsocialmedia.com. We work with anybody from do it yourself. I work with a lot of agency owners, how to improve their agency, or we have a full done for you service as well. If you want to geek out about marketing, how I got sued by Facebook, or kind of some of the behind the scenes of what a US presidential election looks like, I'll throw up on my mouth a little bit when we talk about it. Um, but happy to give you some of those insights too, which is just fun stories to share. Love it. Brad? Smart businesses work hard and they learn to collaborate with other people. And a lot of times it's you against them when it can also be you and them. And we learned over the years working together and working hard on projects ends up, you know, coming into fruition. Uh, also learning to uh, collaborate with your team and that you're not always the right one or the right, have the right answer that uh, uh, a lot of things that I've done as a CEO is learn to delegate. And sometimes that's the hardest thing. And so a uh, smart business learns to fail forward, not backwards. 
Love it. And information about me, bradball.com has all the different businesses. Ardentcreative.com is the agency. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Excellent. Maria? Awesome. Um, I would say systematize, leverage, um, diversify, and uh, be intentionally strategic. And what I mean by that, like my health program, I leveraged and systematized heavily. Um, and now my hospitality company is in the private aviation industry. So I can take that same model now and I can do it with that. And I am doing it with that. And I just signed a big TV show deal. So we're doing the same thing with the TV show in tokenizing it and all this kind of stuff, all, everything that I did for all that time. So once you master that, you can cookie cutter it and a lot of other things. And then the diversification, you know, if you look at it now, this I'm doing all this with the private aviation industry with my TV show, you can imagine how they pair together. And then I actually get to indirectly weave my health stuff in nice. without anybody knowing I'm doing it. So it's going to be, you know, just like that. It's just a, how can I make this happen when you have all these things that say you can't make it happen that way? So that would be my... That's me. Thank and you. you can just, I don't know how you can find me. Uh, intentionalnetwork.com is probably the easiest, my main website. I love that. Um, once again, this episode is brought to you by workingvacation.com. If you want to spend seven days with me and my team and have us show you how you can be more productive in just seven days while also having even more time with your friends and family, go check out workingvacation.com. That's it from us. Thank you ever so much and uh, tune in next time. Thanks, guys. Now, if you're new to the podcast and you want to learn more about how to build a smart business, then the absolute best place to start is with my Smart Blueprint ebook. Over 10,000 people have already gone through the book, and it's one of the most comprehensive resources on strategically building and growing your business that you can find anywhere for free. Just visit the smartblueprint.com forward slash ebook to grab a free copy. And I'll see you on the next episode of Smart Businesses Do This.